Blog Talk Radio. Great conversation this evening. Of course, uh, 
all our reporters in their normal spots. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida. A lot happening down there. A lot happening in Atlanta, Georgia. Roger Hendler is over there. But before we get started, I want to go back to our executive producer, Frank Carroll. you got a dedication or two that you'd like to get into, and then we'll start the show. Yeah, Don, uh, unfortunately, it's that uh, dedication. Uh, we have a young man who's uh, in his early 30s, four years on the Temple University Police Force, was uh, patrolling on Sunday night, uh, saw a, a uh, carjacking, stopped his car, got out of the car, ran up to the guy. By the time he got there, the, the perp turned around and shot him in the face. Not only did this disgusting person shoot and kill this officer, he went through his pockets before he left the scene. He went uh, three blocks over, called his mother, who lived 54 miles away from there, where he was supposed to be, and she came down and, and picked him up. So both are now under arrest uh, for, um, for a homicide, and uh, we send our very best wishes out to uh, Chris's uh, family. His, he's a, Like I said, he is a father of four. He actually started a young kids running club for against gun violence in the Philadelphia area. It's a very sad day for the Philadelphia Police Department and the Temple University Police Department. Absolutely. No question about that, Frank. And of course, anytime anything happens, you're right on top of it because you follow not only the uh, what's happening in the in the police area in the Sarasota area, Florida area, but all across the country as well. And a long-time Philadelphian, and so you're very close to all of these people that you've uh, worked with down through the years. At the top of the show, another sad note, I'd like to talk to our uh, three reporters tonight. First of all, Tim McCarver, a great friend of mine and a great colleague. I worked with Tim when he was a player with the Phillies and other clubs as well, but more importantly, uh, just worked with him uh, when he was working with CBS, NBC, doing the games one of the great people, uh, one of the great players for decades. We uh, had Dan Baker on with us a few uh, shows back, talked about Tim McCarver, and he still holds the record for triples by a catcher, which is highly unusual. Batted 271 in the playoffs as well as 271 during the season. A great addition to baseball, a great addition to the game on the field, and certainly behind the microphone. So, uh just a, a great career, and uh, just sorry to see him pass away in Tennessee, and, and uh, just just a shame, and, and just a great, great guy. I don't know how much contact you may have had with him, uh, Roy, but I'll tell you, he, he was just a wonderful, wonderful broadcaster, wonderful player, but more importantly, just a wonderful guy. Yeah, I, I never had a whole lot of, uh, you know, of uh, uh, dealings with him, didn't... Uh... You know, met him on occasion here a couple times, but um, you know, never really got a chance to know him. But I'll say this, you know, as just a young baseball fan growing up, uh, uh, admired slash hated him because uh, he was so darn good for the, with the Cardinals, which I hated when I was a young Cubs fan. Um, mm-hmm. But then when he went to the Phillies, I began to admire him a lot more. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, he's really, to me, one of the best, sports analysts ever because to me what he did what what made him special was he didn't he didn't tell he didn't give you his resume every time that he's calling a game you know uh you didn't you barely knew he played because he he, he refused uh, seemingly refused to 
you know, talk about, you know, well, when I was catching, we did this or when, you know, he, he did it on occasion, of course, but, um, you know, he was just so good at being in the moment and telling you what happened in the moment and, uh, you know, explaining what was coming next in a lot of cases and, uh, you know, what the pitcher and catcher were thinking and what was likely to likely to come next. And, uh, he was great. He was really exceptional. And, um, he certainly earned his opportunity as his spot in the hall of fame, uh, impacted the game in a lot of ways on and off the field, obviously. So unfortunately I didn't get a chance to get to know him very well, but as I said, uh, certainly respected him, uh, both as a player and as a uh, broadcaster, as an analyst. He was just exceptional. One of the great things he talked about, uh, all the times he was broadcasting or the people he worked, went from Jack Buck in St. Louis all the way through to Joe and all the years with him doing world series, all-star games, everything, uh, on all the networks, but the one thing he said uh, last, uh, just before I left to go home for Christmas, uh, I talked to him, we had lunch together, and he said, you know, uh, the two closest friends I've ever had uh, in, in baseball or in anything are Steve Carlton and Bob Gibson. And, of course, he was a big part of their career. Uh, he credited Steve Carlton with giving him two extra years to go for the four decades because he was uh, – he was Steve Carlton's catcher, and, of course, uh, he caught Bob when he had the great uh, earned run average that's, uh, you know, going to be maybe never duplicated again. Roger, you know him in Philly. You know him as a player. Your comments. Well, he was a great guy, no doubt about it, and uh, who could ever forget the uh, 1980, uh, you know, World Series and the dedicated uh, catcher. Uh, of course, Bob Boone uh, was there, but uh, there were times it, when uh, Carlton pitched. It was uh, Tim McCarver, but he was also, I think he started uh, his broadcasting career with the Phillies. That's so, correct. Uh, he, yeah, he was a uh, gentleman uh, and a, a tremendous player and broadcaster. And uh, before we get back to Roy, uh, I just found this out a little while ago, uh, um, the uh, Mercer County uh, was hit bad. New Jersey was hit bad with a tornado. And uh, there's uh, many people displaced. And uh, I understand that it, well, it also uh, did, uh, hit over at the shore, I guess, too, Don. But uh, West Windsor and Hamilton really took uh, the brunt of it. And, of course, I lived in Hamilton Township for 30 years. So, I'm going to be doing some calling to our good friend Frank Hillman uh, after the show to find out tonight exactly how bad it is. But I found out from my sister-in-law uh, telling me about it, and then I went online. So I didn't know whether uh, your family had let you know, Don, about it or not. So I did not we, hear uh, about you know, it. Uh, the only thing I can say is it must not have hit the shore area too badly because otherwise I would have had uh, somebody on the phone telling me we were having a – uh, a big problem down the Jersey Shore, but I have not heard anything. Uh, I'll check uh, as soon as you say, as soon as the show's over. Uh, I'll give my daughter a call right away and see what's happening there. Well, let's get back to a little sports now, and, and we'll start with Roy. Uh, the baseball season, the pitchers and catchers are here. Uh, baseball's going to start in Sarasota on Saturday. Uh, some of your thoughts about the opening of the season and where the Rays stand and where the American League East stands, and what's your observations? My biggest observation at this point is you're starting to see some teams. You mentioned the Rays, and I think you're starting to see some teams 
uh, follow the Rays' lead. And in particular, I'm talking about the New York Yankees. Um, I think the Yankees, who you know usually spend their money mostly on on, on bats, power bats, um, but this year clearly they have spent the money on pitching. And uh, and and I think they're starting to hope that I think they're starting to realize that after the Rays have basically, you know, outplayed them over the last few years here, uh, that there might be a different way to go about this. If you've got, you know, if you, you certainly want the bats, you want the power and everything else, but the way to win more consistently is to have uh, some pitching that um, that really sets you apart from other teams. And I think you're starting to see it, particularly in the AL East, where the Rays, the Blue Jays, and obviously the Yankees um, are really uh, working at, at putting together very deep starting staffs and creating bullpens that can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, a couple of maybe designated long guys, and then obviously, I mean, everybody, every team's got them, but some teams seem to, seem to be emphasizing it just a little bit more. Uh, I think the Yankees are spending a little bit more money on, on the, uh, the starting pitchers, but They've got the guys who can go six, seven innings too, you know, and, uh, and, and so I so, you know, so obviously I think they, they've realized that um, the, the game might be changing just a little bit. Uh, Texas Rangers are another team, obviously, that's done that. And again, I think the Phillies may have been part of that, you know, uh, part of the drive here to, to make these changes because let's face it, the Phillies, you know, they didn't have much defense. Uh, the hitting was solid. Um, a little bit better than solid, a little bit above average, I would say. Um, but really, I, I thought pitching was the, was the key for the Phillies last year, guys. And I think teams are starting to look at it and say, you know what, this is the way you win now. And it's always been that way. I mean, we all know pitching and defense, but usually the teams that spend the most money have spent it on on a lot of hitting. And I think, um, you know, even the Dodgers, obviously, are a uh, kind of a pitch-first team now. Uh, the way they've built their team. And um, I just think we're, we might be seeing a, bit, a little bit of a change in the way the game is, uh, is the te- way teams are attempting to win. Anybody else agree with that, or am I off base? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think also that uh, Cashman last year, <clears throat> that was the area that he failed. As you went to the trading deadline, and uh, as the uh, season progressed into the month of September, uh, the number of injuries he had on the mound and the number of players that couldn't couldn't come to to post for a game, and I think he found himself in a lot of trouble. So uh, I agree with you. He signed a ton of relief pitchers. Whether they're all going to be good or whether any of them are going to be good, we'll have to wait to see. Roger? Well, I agree with uh, both of you about uh, pitching, and it goes back to the old uh, cliche, pitching and defense. And I just heard uh, on MLB uh, radio uh, earlier today or uh, this afternoon uh, when they were talking about the AL uh, East, like you were, Roy, about uh, the Yankees, they figure uh, if you have 90 or 95 wins, closer to 95 than 90, uh, if you look at you know at the uh, numbers, and uh, then they you know have the Rays right up there, and uh, obviously uh, Toronto too. But uh, I you know I think you're uh, right on target, and that and that's the way uh, teams are going, and. Uh, you know, I look at the Phillies, and we can talk about that, uh, but probably the fifth the, uh, pitcher in the rotation right now is 19 years old, 
and uh, you know it'll be uh, 20. I think it's in April. So uh, just amazing uh, how you know you can build a farm system from almost zero in a couple of years, and you get some good pitching and have some good drafts and have some good people uh, behind the scenes, and you know you can uh, start building your farm system up again. Well, Steve Cazella is really- going to join us in the next half hour, and of course, no one uh, statistically keeps more numbers than he does. So we'll we'll talk about that. But let's uh, let's switch over right now because we're really getting into the uh, meat and potatoes of the National Hockey League. And Rangers made a couple little moves to uh, try to improve their club. Uh, the Lightning right now, uh, we talked last week, they were only one point back in second place now with their four or five. But on the paper in front of me, but four or five, I think. Uh, Roy, you follow it very closely. You follow that team since they first came to Sarasota. So, uh Give us a little thumbnail sketch coming down the home stretch. Well, I think uh, what the Lightning have kind of done uh, this year is kind of, I mean, let's face it, they played a lot of hockey uh, the last, you know, three years, four years, and um, you could understand why, you know, they looked a little tired early on in the year, but I think maybe they were just kind of, they know when to turn it up a notch. And I think what they've done is, you know, once the calendar changes, and it doesn't necessarily have mean, mean January, I'm talking maybe maybe more about February than than anything. I think they realize that okay, now's the time we start playing. Now's the time we we go out and we start to play our game. And um, not that they weren't trying to win before, but I mean, this, you, you can just see by what, the way they've played over the course of the last month in particular, um, they they have stepped it up a notch. They're playing a little bit a uh, little bit harder, um, and you know. The schedule gets tougher, and the, this is when you really want to make your move. And you know, in an attempt to play your best hockey, uh, you know, come playoff time. And uh, I think they realize it. And uh, you know, at one point they caught up with Toronto, falling back a little bit behind them now. But um, they're in the race there to uh, you know to catch Toronto, and, and, and <laughs> we could end up seeing another Toronto Tampa Bay uh, first round playoff uh, uh, battle. So. We'll see how it all goes, but um, right now Tampa just—I um, think they realize that the, this is the time when you, you turn it up a notch, and they have. And uh, if they if, if they continue to play at the level they're playing right now, watch out. Uh, look, the Bruins are clearly uh, the best team in the league this year. Uh, no one's challenging them yet, but I think it's possible that Tampa could challenge them eventually. And if uh, we end up seeing a somehow a, a Tampa Boston uh, playoff series. Could be one for the ages, guys. Roger, I think we're going to see one of the best Stanley Cup playoff series of uh, maybe all time because the competition right now is, has, and as uh, Roy said, uh, Boston during the regular season has uh, sort of outdone everybody else. But that doesn't mean once they get to the playoffs, you know, they've got to play everybody, every game as well as they played during the regular season. But uh, you look at the competition, and holy smokes, uh, I talk about golf all the time and how deep golf is in competition-wise. The National Hockey has got a lot of competition right now. Well, they sure do, and the, the uh, it's going to be a real uh, run to the playoffs uh, for a lot of these teams. Uh, and, you know, it reminds me of uh, the uh, the Phillies uh, last year in the playoffs in the World Series. I mean, you know, they uh, did everything they could just to qualify for the playoffs at the end, and here they wind up in the World Series. So, 
uh, I think you're exactly right, Don, that that can uh, play over into uh, the NHL this year because of the competition. Well, I want to go back to one of the – you just mentioned Toronto. Uh, and, you know, the, the Flyers were – or the Lady were making a, a run at them. I think the last, the, last week this time they were only one point back. Uh, so uh, they've had a little distance between the two of them. But uh, Toronto has not been known as a good playoff team once the playoffs get underway. And this, uh, they've made a couple of little changes as well. Uh, maybe this year, maybe they're going to be more competitive if it's a first-round run for the, for the uh, Lightning. Well, I'll tell you right now, that's the last thing I think uh, Toronto wants is to have to face Tampa Bay in the playoffs um, just just to get through the first round. I mean, they they really have to fight it uh, to make sure that they can somehow avoid that. Um, and if it means, you know, who knows at the end of the day if it means losing a game or two uh, to to fall out of a slot to uh, to avoid it, it might not be a bad idea. Um, but as you guys just mentioned. Um, you know, it's hard to pick your poison here. You know, you got four or five teams, uh, and, and it's like this in most sports, but you got four or five teams that are clearly, you know, trying to get the first round draft pick. Uh, they're in the lottery, and uh, but but then you know everybody else is is really kind of right there. You know, they're they're all most of them are are, are, are pretty, truly playoff contenders. You got a couple of teams like St. Louis, which has fallen off the off the off the the trail a little bit there. Uh, Flyers are kind of off the mark a little bit, but you know, for the most part, um, every division has has a good solid three, four teams there, and anybody could come out of it. And so a lot could still change, and uh, so it's it's hard to kind of pick your poison, as I said. Um, but uh, you're right, Toronto. Look, it, nothing really matters about where what happens to them here in the uh, regular season. It's all about with, with with the lineup they've got, the money they've invested. In, in in you know Mitch Marner and 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 uh, everybody just the the lineup they've put together, um, you know they they have got to uh, get past that first round or they're going to make major changes this year, guys. If, um, if if they don't go through the first round and really it may not even be the first, I think they've got to get to the finals to avoid a breakup of this team because. Uh, you're, you're spending a lot of money on guys, and it's not that they can't afford it, but if, if you just keep getting the same results and they're not good enough and you can't win a cup, you got to start thinking about playing a different uh, style of game. And that means possibly it could mean moving an, an Austin Matthews. It could mean moving a Jason Spezza. You know, um, it could mean moving a lot of guys. And uh, we'll see if the goaltending can hold up to it for them. I think that's really the biggest issue is goaltending, and can they, you know, can they play with that edge uh, that they need? You know, they've they've given up on a couple of guys that, that have that edge. They got one, Michael Bunting, but at the end of the day, they've you know they've let a, a couple of guys go that have that edge, and I think they they regret it now, and they're uh, they're kind of wishing they had those guys. You know, a Zach Hyman, a Kadri, for example. You know, these are guys that uh, uh, these are the kind of players you you you, re- you really need. You can't just have a John Tavares out there. Uh, you know, banging people around every once in a while. You got to have some. You got to have a good, solid third line of, or fourth line at least of uh, guys that can uh, really get dirty, play it dirty, and get uh, you know work in the corners and make things happen for you. You can't just uh, run and gun. And um, I think they're finding they they have found it out. And we'll see if the if the system works for them this year. But um, if it doesn't, you could see a, a a real breakup of that team, which would be quite alarming because again they put together a really good offensive-oriented uh, team. 
Well, Roger, we'll let you wind up this half hour. Steve's on the line, and uh, but I want to go back to one of the things that uh, Roy just talked about. One of the biggest disappointments, to me anyway, is talk of what happened with the Philadelphia Flyers. They're resting all the way down close to the bottom, and, and I just don't see where they're going to go anywhere right now. No, I don't either, uh, Don. The uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, I, I think they're uh, three or I know three or four games under five hundred. But uh, you know they got up to five hundred, and you thought, okay, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But it hasn't worked out that way. And uh, we thought that with uh, John Tortorella coming in, things would be different, and they were uh, to an extent. But uh, they need a lot of work, and and they've got to find. I think they need a new general manager. I think it, uh, he's just uh, been there a little uh, too long and has not got any results whatsoever. So, uh, you know, see what happens. It's just like when you're a non-competitor, you got to do something. Well, Roy, you do talk better than anybody down here in Florida when he won the Stanley Cup. Uh, are you, uh, just in 30 seconds, are you surprised they didn't make a little bit better move? I am a little surprised. Um, look, I, I know this. I, I know when Torch went in there, he knew he had a lot of work to do, but I don't think he thought he had as much to do as, he, as it's turning out. Ro- Roger is absolutely right. Um, there are some major changes that have to be made here, and um, he, he's now figuring it out. I, I think all along, I think, I think he thought that they could probably be a playoff contender, maybe not make the playoffs, but at least be a contender with the group they had. Um, and it really hasn't turned out that way. And I think the biggest disappointment is still the defensive side of the, you know, the defensive side. Uh, they put too much pressure on Corey Hart all year, um, and I think they've realized that some of the guys that are kind of mainstays with this unit um, probably have to go, and they've got to make you right. Roger hit it on the, on the head. They've got a lot of changes to make, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you're right about the general manager, too. I'm not sure. Look, He's, he put this team together, and it, and it hasn't been good enough. But it hasn't been good enough for a while. So going into free agency this year, what are you going to do? You know, uh, who are you going to get? Um, I promise you, Torch is going to want guys who are obviously willing to work hard and work hard on their own end. And uh, that's where it starts. And so you're, I think you're, going forward, you're going to see a very different Flyers team. Um, but the good news is it's going to be a team that the Philadelphia fans love because it's going to be a really tough gritty team a team that you're not going to want to go up against every uh uh every night because right now it's a team that nobody really fears and i think that's going to change over the course of the off season yeah roy, hey, roy the thank you thank is more gritty than the team <laughs> <laughs> yes roy, yeah. thank you very very much i'll tell you always the pleasure of the first half hour and we'll get together again next week and do it all over again a lot of things we didn't get to the coaching changes for the Eagles because they're, they're going to be looking for some coaches now. But anyway, uh, thank you very much. And let's uh, switch over to baseball now. Have because... a great week, Roy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Roy. Steve Cassell is on the line right now. Baseball is his game. And, Steve, uh, we touched just briefly uh, on the Rays earlier with, with uh, <clears throat> uh, just at the top of the show with Roy. Uh, so let, let's you see more of the uh, – uh, numbers and what what's happening with the Rays. What do you think as we go into the season when you look at the top three teams in the American League East? Well, you know, I've I've kind of slotted them as the Yankees as a top dog, Toronto as second, and the Rays third. You know, and it's going to be a fun fight all year. 
But th- that's, those are the top three in, in that order, you know, on paper. You know, you can't really ever put the Rays above anybody, um, you know, based on off-season moves and stuff. And that's that's kind of the, you know, when you look at it on paper, that's kind of the realistic way of looking at it. But, you know, they've got, you know, they've got the uh, uh, the return of, a, you know, a healthy Wander Franco and a, and a healthy Brandon Lau. And they have the, you know, they have uh, Manny Margot was on the 60-day IL with a knee injury last year. You hope to have him for a full, healthy season. You know, they were really beat up last year on offense, and hopefully this year some of that is smoothed out, um, especially with the return of the, uh, you know, Brandon Lau and Wander Frankel for a full season. So uh, we will see how it goes. But, you know, the typical raise, it's all about, you know, it starts with the, on, on the mound, and they've got a stellar five starting uh, starting rotation. they got a very deep bullpen. And they have a lot of arms that come at you in a different angle. So, for now, we'll put the Rays right around third place in the American League East and competing for a wild card spot. Roger? Well, we talked about it with uh, Roy, Steve, uh, that uh, the, the Rays seem to now be the team that the other teams follow as far as uh, setting it up with pitching, uh, et cetera. And I'd like your opinion about that. You know, we talked that Don brought up about the Yankees. And uh, I heard today, as I mentioned, the uh, Yankees, uh, when they're about the radio, uh, they should be closer to 95 wins than 90. And then they, like you said, the uh, Toronto and then the Rays. Uh, what do you think about uh, the uh, in, in the various divisions about how many wins and, uh, you know, because everything today is so much predicated on gambling. Yeah, I really, you know, I think we've talked about this briefly. I really don't pay a lot of attention to trying to predict the overall win totals. Like for gambling, it's never been my thing. And and I'm going to take a step back on this one and kind of just bring up that I haven't really factored in the new scheduling this year. Brand- that's, a big, that's a big plus for everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. for instance, in years past, what I could do is I could look at a division um, and say you should have a suppressed win total in this division because of the you know how competitive it is. Meanwhile, you could say this division should have higher win totals because you're playing 18, 19 games against some really bad teams. And some divisions in some years had two bad teams and three good teams, or they had two good teams and – you know, uh, two bad teams and one marginal team. Uh, the closest we've come to that in the, like, last season might have been the like, National League West with the Dodgers and Padres and then the Rockies, Giants, and Diamondbacks not being that good. So, you, you know, there, you, you get a little bit of a inflated win total. So this year I think we need to really take a look at, you know, if, especially if you're a gambler, how the new schedule is going to uh, – unwind over the year you have a little bit of travel that you have to consider and you've got you know teams that don't know each other are going to be playing each other you know so you may not have the familiarity in a three to six game you know um series or whatever um season series you know three game here three game there so it'll be very interesting uh to see how the win totals come out the guys that gamble if you got any gambling guys on the site uh, that, that would be some great questions for them, how they're factoring in the new schedule relative to last year. Steve Catella is our guest this half hour, and, of course, the baseball expert. Steve, we uh, let's jump back. We talked in the first half hour a little bit 
with Roy, uh, Cashman's uh, loaded up. You talked about the Rays, how they load that bullpen up because they know they're going to have some arm problems up and down the line. And uh, But they always have people to come in and pitch. And it looks like Cashman's doing the same thing. I mean, he's not only lining people up at the major league level, he's lining people up at the, at the AAA or AA level from a relief standpoint. Yeah, Cashman's done a good job um, the last few years of, of loading up all over the place. I mean, it's a very good organization. I mean, uh, the fact that they're not winning titles is really the only knock on the Yankees, you know, that with their resources they should be winning titles. Uh, that's the prevailing thought. But, you know, like last year's Yankees team, man, that bullpen got devastated, you know, with injury down right. the stretch. They were quite, you know, they acquired Montas and he got, you know, eight pretty crappy starts and now he's out for the year with a shoulder injury. Uh, they compounded that issue last year by trading Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. And uh, we'll have to see, you know, I, I, I love defense and center field and he's a, he can go get it. So, uh, we'll have to see how that pans out over the course of the year. But, no, he's done a – the Yankees have done a nice job of uh, uh, paying attention to the arms. You know, it was a shame. Remember I mentioned the bullpen falling apart last year. Even Scott Efros, who they went out and got uh, from the Cubs, had to have Tommy John surgery, and he's out for the year. So it, it just – it went from bad to worse uh, for them as the year went on. You know, at one point it was, you know, they, they had one of the best records, if not the best record in baseball. And then the injury started to mount up and they kind of tailed off away from the pack. So I think if I'm right, they, they did bring Tommy Conley back, I believe. But maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong. I know they added a few guys to that bullpen, but um, I, I think they're going to be ready. I know Michael King should be healthy again and uh, I think they're going to be a, they're going to be a team to reckon with in the American League East, and you know between them and the Blue Jays, they're both stacked. Roger, well, uh, have you been over to spring training to uh, see any uh, any not games yet, but just to see any of the teams uh, at all, Steve? No, I haven't been able to get over to Orlando as of yet. the uh, The day job keeps getting in the way of my. Uh, my my my, uh, my I've talked to the company about it, but they they have this thing about uh, making sure I take care of that first. But no, I haven't been out there yet. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, you know I, I do all the reading and following, and I get the daily videos uh, supplied to me, and it's it's been fantastic to hear the sights and the sounds, you know, of Major League Baseball returning. You know, one year ago today, if we all go back in our memory banks, we all had a bad taste about baseball in our mouth. And right. it's nice to have a normal spring where everybody's looking forward to uh, to the opening day, you know, the grandeur of opening day. We can all put it on our calendars, and we're all looking forward to it. And any kind of fighting or arguments that we have about baseball aren't, you know, concerned about billionaires versus millionaires and collective bargaining agreements. So, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really stoked up for the opening day this year. Steve, everything I've been reading uh, really since, uh, well, I guess, the end of last year, to be honest with you, the Braves seem to me to be the team not only really stationed for this year, but stationed for the next five years. Uh, I just see uh, the Mets, of course, are the big money and the big players and all the rest, but the Braves seem to have made, to me, 
very, very thoughtful, dramatic moves, and their team is young. Got a young catcher now. Yeah, yeah getting 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 Sean Murphy was pretty good, you know. And when you go look at that, when you go look at that Atlanta Braves team, they're a very good team, and you know, two contributors that really. One didn't really contribute at all the last year and a half, and the other guys struggled. Yet they still have Ian Anderson and uh, and Mike Soroka coming back. Um, so when you look at depth in pitching, and then you go look at the Atlanta Braves and just that department, you know they have the veteran in Morton. They've got Max Freed. They've got they, they're just they're loaded with pitching, Mike Wright, and so on. And then you go on, you look at the position players, and you know. Uh, you see, they got Olsen over there at first. They got the young, the young kid at sec, at short. They've got Ozzy Albies. They've got um, was it Michael Harris Jr. and uh, Ronald Acuna uh, out in the outfield, you know. And uh, they, they really do have, like you say, they have a young roster, but they also have that blend of experience um, th- sprinkled throughout the team. So they should be poised to be another one of those teams that, you know. Uh, uh, interesting, you know, from a gambling perspective in the National League, you know, the six teams or whatever, or whatever seven uh, teams or six teams that made the postseason last year, a good argument could be made just for fun that those would be the same teams that make the playoffs this year. And it's kind of hard to find a team that's going to break through and supplant one of the teams from last year. If you go through quickly in your head each one of the teams that made the postseason, and who would replace that team this year of the teams that didn't make it last year? The National League is pretty packed at the top with that with the talent base and the markets that made it last year. Just a fun thought. Well, Roger, you're right there in Atlanta. You're going to see it all firsthand. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I just think they've got a uh, they've got an arsenal coming into 23. Well, I agree, and uh, I think the experts agree too, Bob. And Steve, but I, you know, and Frank, and uh, but you know, anything can happen. Like you were saying, Steve, look at the Yankees last year. Yeah, t- tremendous record, and all of a sudden the injuries hit them. And uh, you know, when injuries can be devastating, and uh, of course uh, they're not going to get uh, uh, Bryce Harper back. The Phillies aren't until uh, at least June, probably. So you just don't know. I mean, we all love opening day. We love spring training and walking around and seeing games. But, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, July, uh, anything could change because of injuries. Yeah, you got to that, – that's where having the, stock, the stocked farm, not only in prospects, but in the guys that have a little grizzle on them um, – where you need to have those guys, you know, and you also have a shrewd, you have to have a shrewd front office that can target people in trade, even in June, July, that can fill roles down the stretch and kind of look beyond just what you have on your roster now, you know, even if it's a triple A pickup that you go out there and sign, um, you know, or, or purchase for cash and you're not expecting much. I mean, a great example would be last year, the Dodgers lost Mookie Betts to a rib injury just for a couple of weeks, and Andrew Friedman went out there and bought uh, Trace Thompson from the Detroit Tigers out of Toledo. Uh, he goes over to L.A., and if you go look at the year he had, you got to wonder. Uh, I mean, he, he had maybe a career year, a great year. He's penciled into the 26-man roster this year, and that's what you want from your GM is to be able to find those gems 
out there. Now, not all of them are going to work, but that's what you hope. So, uh, you know, I don't know if what happens in Philly with uh, Bryce Harper being out. Maybe they find one of those gems. Uh, maybe it's a guy out there in uh, spring training that's out of options that a team puts on waivers and the Phillies go and grab, and they add another powerful piece um, with maybe even speed or maybe somebody that's got a good, uh, you know, good batting eye or somebody's got power. But, you know, maybe you get lucky in that aspect, and that's what makes baseball so much fun for all of us. Well, the one thing the Phillies have, you know, is a general manager who uh, is on top of where the players are and uh, where he should make his moves and at what time of the season. So, you know, you got a guy in the driver's seat that knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, that's some high praise for Sam Fold. <laughs> hey, general manager, I'm just holding your feet to the fire on that one, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he's done a great job too. I mean, the uh but uh David Dombrowski has really uh straightened the ship, okay? Uh because that it was a mess. Uh you know, when uh, the previous administration was there. Yeah, anybody who realizes that uh, uh you know, as as time goes on, Dombrowski took care of up the middle and uh that that to me and the bullpen, those two things right there are what every GM should always do and that's a we need a good defender at second and uh in center field. We need a good catcher and we need to make sure we're not a we're not bleeding up the middle at shortstop and second and uh uh he's certainly taking care of that along with taking care of the offense, taking care of the bullpen, taking care of the player development and all that. Um he really has done a magnificent job of flipping that organization, you know. Right. Uh, like I getting Brandon Marsh last year was just I absolutely love that move. Getting uh you know, getting uh, Didi off the of shortstop, even though an injury kind of accelerated it, getting him out of shortstop um, was a genius move. And then, you know, breaking ties with Gene Segura, you know, I like Segura's bat and everything, but uh, I think the time for him with his leather at second base was needed to be moved. So Phillies look great, by the way. I mean, they really have their stuff together. And, uh, you know, when Bryce Harper gets back, hopefully that ignites the, the Phillies even more and they go on a run like they did last year. With all your research, Steve, uh, any uh, any clubs that you think are going to surprise? Because as you mentioned at the top of the interview, uh, uh, the teams that we've seen lose, 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 and don't really have a chance to compete to be in the playoffs, continue to do so. Pittsburgh's not going to be very good, maybe for a couple of more years. Baltimore mm-hmm. may have improved a little bit, uh, maybe uh, with the new schedule, we're going back to your point there. I think that's going to help Baltimore a lot. They're not going to have to play each one of those teams 19 times. And uh, so I think that's going to be a big adjustment for them, and they made a nice move last year. We'll see them. I'll see. I'll be at the game on Saturday, so I'll see their first exhibition game. But nice. uh, any teams that you can think of off the top of your head that uh, may, may surprise, may move into a contending position? Yeah. Well, I'll go first. I'm going to go to a team that won't be as bad as people think, and that's made incredible. Two teams I think have made big strides that don't get credit for the strides they've made, and that is Pittsburgh and Miami. So I'm not going to put them in the contender category, but they're they're further along the spectrum than most people think. Um, well, now to answer your question about teams I think could surprise, I think everybody on this call that follows baseball, no organization could have as bad of luck with their roster than the Angels have had. Now, mm. I 
I don't like their manager, and I don't understand how he's still there. I'll make that perfectly clear. But the talent on that roster, they brought in quite a few more people. But if you, you know, if you can get Jared Walsh and Otani and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon um, all pointed in the right direction, for, you know, and now they got Giovanni Rochella as well. You can get these guys, and you and they got a hoop from you guys, uh, the Pittsburgh uh, or the Philadelphia catcher that got traded over there. If you can get these guys healthy in the lineup every day, day in and day out, to go along with Tyler Anderson and Sandoval and the rest of those young guns that they got out there, even in that division with the Astros and with the uh, with the Mariners, I think the Angels could could surprise people and be competitive. How long they'll be competitive? One, I don't know if they have the, the full talent base to do it, but the injuries always bite them. It's un, it's uncanny, you know, how the injuries get them. Um, the the second team in the National League, um, even though I said you could, you could make a case that every team in the NL would – the only team I can think that would displace a playoff team right now um, would be the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, that organization seems to have a knack of finding ways to be competitive, uh, they slow. They, they have a. They have several prospects that are ready to uh, take over at the big league level that don't get a lot of publicity because they haven't done anything in the big leagues yet. And uh, I think Milwaukee could surprise, uh, similar to the Angels, or a better example might be the Cubs could be, could be a surprise team. But those three, right there, could be surprise contenders. The rest of them are just, I think, are on the. Uh, the matrix of where are they to be competitive. Um, you know, the team that I really like, like I said, is the Marlins. I think they really were snake bit with the uh, some bad performance with the bats, but that pitching staff, if you go look at their pitching staff, whew, they got some they got some young arms, man. They they look impressive. Steve Cassell, our guest this half hour and Roger, you're up. Yeah, the uh I thought that the the uh, Marlins would do better last year than they did. Uh and, uh, you know, that kid that they got from the uh, Phillies several years ago uh, in the uh, Rio Muto uh, trade, as I recall, uh, he, uh, he got injured. And, that, you know, yeah. he, he has not produced uh, yeah. anywhere near what they've expected. Yeah, he uh, he came into camp. Sixto Sanchez is who I think you're talking about. So, yes, Sixto uh-huh. Sanchez, exactly. Yeah. Yep. He came into camp 45 pounds lighter, looking good. Uh, you know, really hoping to uh, to step up, step AJ Puck for their bullpen, which was a great pickup from Oakland. Uh, you know, they've got the reigning Cy Young, the Cy Young winner. Last year they picked up Hayes' Luzardo. All the talent in the world just couldn't get pointed in the right direction, and he looks to be pointed in the right direction. They have uh, another young kid, Braxton Garrett, who again all the all the potential in the world. Uh, Last year, man, you, you go look at um, uh, uh, Avicel Garcia, uh, Jorge Soler. Uh, the, the the years that they had were just, you know, really, really awful injury and just no performance. Joey Wendell, Joey Wendell was injured most of the year. Uh, that, uh, Jesus Aguilar really had a drop-off in performance. Um, everything they expected to be cohesive and move forward with that pitching staff, you know, Brian Anderson, uh, he's in Milwaukee now after being non-tendered. Uh, that team really had a – the offense just completely completely went, to, you know, just went gone. And 
Jazz Chisholm looked great until he got injured and had to miss most of the season. Now he's playing center field for them. So that's what happened to him last year. But the talent is still there. Even a guy like Jesus Sanchez, who can now move to a corner outfield, and a guy named Jared Encarnacion can maybe step up. They do have talent. And that's why I say they're a little bit further along the spectrum. If you could pitch, you could surprise people. You know, the, the, the easiest way to fall out of contention in baseball, no matter how we want to dice the numbers up, is not have pitching. If you don't mm-hmm. have pitching, you're not going to hang around in baseball these days. Steve, the $64,000 question. The Padres, <laughs> you go through yeah. the winter meetings, you go through the Sunnies, you go through everything that they do every year, and they're going to contend mm-hmm. and they're going to go up against the Dodgers and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. Is this the year? Even though Manny has already said that uh, he's not going to sign an extension, he's already told everybody he may leave. Uh, but what are the Padres going to do? Yeah, the Padres look really good. Um, it's an interesting dynamic. And I, I won't drone on about it, but the Dodgers are taking a step back. They have a number of prospects that have completed AAA and are ready for the opportunity, maybe not right out of the shoot on the big league level, but at some point. There's a reason they let Justin Turner and Trey Turner and, um, oh, man, they, they, a host of other players leave. We'll just put it that. They let a lot of guys walk. And they they brought some guys in, like J.D. Martinez. You know, they brought him in. And, you know, they're going to see how Gavin Lux does at short. You know, but uh, Miguel Vargas and, and, uh, and, and Josh Outman, there's a few prospects that they have that are major league ready. So the Dodgers are gambling that their guys are ready to take the next step. Then you go over to San Diego. It's no holds barred. I mean, you picked up Juan Soto last year, so you can th- you can throw that into the mix of adding, right? You get Fernando mm-hmm. Tati, or, oh, by the way, one of the best players in the game. Uh, he has been gone for a year and a half, and he's coming back, and he's going to have a full spring training. He's ready. He's eligible for a suspension on April 20th. So they're going to get him back. You know, they got uh, Carpenter had a great year with New York last year. They're, they get, they signed him to see if he can help out in the outfield in a few positions. They added, um, uh, besides Carpenter, um, they added Nelson Cruz, who had LASIK surgery. I know we laugh at, you know, guys 42, 43 years old, he had LASIK surgery. But who knows if he's going to find the long ball again, you know, and uh, the team is just completely stacked. They got the rotation. That's the one area where if injuries hit, the Dodgers might be in a little bit of an advantage. You know, outside of, uh, you know, they signed Michael Waka, you know, and we know he's injury prone. Uh, there's, you know, they, they, they signed Seth Lugo. That, you know, he'll go in their bullpen. They re-signed Nick Martinez, and he'll probably go in their bullpen. And then you got Blake Snell, and you really, you know, I don't think I'm being cruel saying you don't know what you're going to get with Blake Snell. It's either really good or really bad, but you won't know until that day. And then you got Musgrove and Darvish, you know. So if there's one area where the um, uh, Padres are a little weak in, it's probably a rotation, which is, you know, not surprising, you know, um, that they signed Cole Hamels to a minor league deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. You know, they signed Brett Honeywell to a major league deal with a minor league, you know, portion of it. So you can see that they're recognizing that they're a little weak in the starting rotation, you know, including adding Wachta just a few days ago. So, but man, that's going to be one of the best races out there. 
that's what I mean. I don't see any of the other three teams out there. I don't see Arizona, Colorado, or San Francisco, uh, you know, being that, that that competitive out there. So we'll have to see how uh, how that division goes. But, you know, my $64,000 answer would probably be I have to put the Padres on top for at least this year. Um, but we'll see what Friedman and the Dodgers do. They Roger. say that uh, they say Cole Hamels looked tremendous. Uh, you know wow. when he was uh, doing tryouts. Did you read that, Steve? No, no. But I, I've always I, I'm one who I always pull for the underdog. And the older I get, the more the more in tune I am to the <laughs> older guy. Right. All of us, you know, we're all that you know, way. <laughs> yeah, some people will say Nelson Cruz is too old, and I want him to win the MVP. I want him to have a year like David Ortiz did before he stepped away from the game. You know, um, you know that's just how I am. You know, um, so if Cole Hamels can have what I call it in baseball, I always say that. You know, there's an old phrase that uh, a light bulb's always brightest before it burns out. You know? <laughs> And with, well, with the older players, I think it's going to be interesting. The, going back to the Padres for a minute, because you know, yeah. first of all, they were they were going to, uh, you know, usurp the Yankees, and, and uh, money wise, they offered more money than, than the Yankees did, but they didn't get the player. Now they're going to do the same thing. Uh, they're talking about four hundred million, five hundred million. I mean, for some reason, all of a sudden, the Padres' money doesn't seem to be a problem. Yeah, it shouldn't be. With the with the TV deal they have, they shouldn't have a problem with money. You know, and and they're the only team in San Diego now that the uh, Chargers left. Right. They got a beautiful they got a beautiful park, a beautiful a beautiful TV deal. They got a revenue stream uh, that's fantastic, and uh, they should they should have a big payroll. Plus, you know, a one year or two year expenditure when you start looking at these things in, in five year increments, there are some outs in there that will lighten the load, you know, as this goes on. So, uh, you know, I always compare it to what the Yankees and Red Sox, uh, and when Dabrowski was with the Tigers, he constantly did this, and that is flip the roster over. You lose a $20 million a year player, you go and sign a $20 million a year player, but you don't bury yourself long term. Um, uh, you know, the, the the contracts that are going to, you know, could that could affect the uh, – Padres long-term, it'd be Xander Bogart's 10-year deal and uh, uh, the remainder of the uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. deal. Uh, those are the two that are really, that, that are, you know, you, you can't get out of for the next 10, right. 12 years. Um, but, you know, Darvish, six years, and of course, they don't, I don't think they expect him to be around for six years. That was manipulating the AAV of the contract. Um, but, you know, you get out of, you know, Blake Snell is a free agent this year. That's $15 million that'll come off the books. And, and, and Manny Machado, you know, if he opts out and you elect not to re-sign him, then you're off $30 million. So very creative. But you have this guy named Soto that you have to wonder about how he's going to get paid. <laughs> Roger? Yeah, the, uh, it will be interesting to see what he does. And uh, the other thing is, what is this, five years later? Steve, from when, uh, you know, he and Harper were the two big free agents. And, uh, you know, Harper took the uh, no no trade, uh, had the no trade clause and no opt-out. And here Manny has uh, already told everybody he's opting out. But do you think that he might stay with San Diego, or do you think maybe it might be good riddance? You know, I don't think it'll 
I, I'm not sure how it'll end up. It'll, money will talk in the long run, you know. I mean, um, if, if you know, when the Padres look at the roster, if they want Manny Machado to be one of those guys that they give a 10-year deal to. Um, one, one, you know, it's been speculation for at least two years now, but there's a certain manager in New York that kind of knows Manny. Buck wants yeah. him badly, I'll tell you. He, every time they, he talks about Buck Showall, that's all he talks about, how great a player he had him in Baltimore. He thinks he's, thinks he's the best third baseman in baseball. Yeah, and they were going to sign Carlos Correa to that big deal uh, this winter, not to play shortstop, but to play third base. So, you know, there's always that possibility when you look at the spectrum of teams, you know, that Manny Machado could go to the, go to the New York Mets uh you know the owner there is not afraid of, of the outlay of money. No, no, he certainly is not. Roger? Yeah, they showed a picture of uh, Steve Cohen and his wife, and uh, they're talking about uh, no price is too high. So <laughs> I think that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've said for years, in conversations with people that say, why aren't the Rays spending this money or why aren't the Pirates or A's? And I said, the problem isn't the small market teams not spending. The $10 billion a year industry, and I made a comment, I stick to it to this day. If other teams, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets, uh, the Phillies, other high-revenue teams spent the same percentage as revenue as the Rays and the other teams, you should have 350 to $400 million payrolls, no sweat. You know, and I still believe that today. And I think Steve Cohen has blown the lid off the uh, play as close to the salary tax threshold as you can with your payroll. That little agreement, he's saying, I can spend two hundred eighty-five million dollars on my roster. I could pay ninety million dollars in tax. It's still not coming out of my pocket. It's coming out of the, all the revenues that we have coming in. You know, I know the big market teams don't like to hear this, but if you're the Phillies or you're the Dodgers or you're, you know, you're the uh, Yankees or you're the Red Sox, pay the tax, jump your payroll up to $300 million where it should have been all along and pay these guys what they earn, you know, and what they deserve and really you know, let, let that $10 billion a year industry money flow. And you're starting to see it now. And a lot of that's thanks to Steve Cohen. And that revenue, by the way, that tax revenue gets divided up among younger, the other teams who then can invest it into their rosters and watch those payrolls come up, not as high as the big markets, but they should come up. And it's about time baseball had somebody like Steve Cohen come in and say no price is too high. Steve, he has really confronted that, though, with spring training down at Port St. Lucie uh, uh, last uh, over the weekend. Uh, he had a number of different interviews. And, uh, you know, he confronted He said, it's up to the other owners to be competitive with me. It's not for me to change, the, you know, what I do to, uh, you know, not uh, put all the money I want to into my club. That's my prerogative. It absolutely is. I mean, if you have, you know, and we don't have the books open, but I'm going to guess the Mets have somewhere around $400 million or $500 million in total revenue from ticket sales, luxury advertising, TV money, TV contracts, national, et cetera, flowing through their coffers every year, you know. The only reason to keep yourself at around $200 million in that case is because you don't want to pay the tax on the players, you know, not because it's going to hurt your bottom line as far as, you know, exceeding your money and going into debt. They just right. don't want to pay the you know. 
And, uh, you know, there's an argument that can be that can be made. I think the most salient one was many years ago, Jerry Jones, when they talked about revenue sharing in the NFL, said, you know, some teams don't even put any money into a marketing department. Go look at the Bengals. Why am I paying? Why am I giving them money if they're not going to put it back into at least trying to get fans? You know, so uh, I could see some argument. But for the most part, Steve Cohn is putting a spotlight on the game. And these big market teams, this little – we're not going to exceed the competitive balance tax because we don't want to pay a tax. No, pay the tax. That's how revenue sharing works. That allows you to keep your entire TV deal almost to yourself, while other teams that don't have the silver spoon, you know, some teams only get $45 million a year uh, for the television rights, while some teams get billions, you know. Or, well, or that's one of the problems of Baltimore. Yeah, you know, Baltimore, yeah. Uh, I'll let you get one more in, Roger, because I want to talk a little bit about Baltimore because I say I'm going to start seeing him on Friday, Saturday this weekend. I have been over to the ballpark, get credentials and so forth, but I haven't actually seen any uh, uh, workouts as yet. But I want to get C's uh, comments about the Orioles and what, whether he thinks they have shown the improvement they showed at the second half of last year. But you go ahead, Roger. You had one before me. Yeah, well, no, I just wanted to uh, say I uh, agree, and you think – about the NFL, if they didn't have the uh, salary cap uh, and they didn't have revenue sharing, Jerry Jones would uh, be able to control everything. I mean, because he uh, does a lot with marketing and and uh, uh, they know how to handle. He knows how to do things like that, and a lot of the other teams don't. And the Green Bay Packers don't exist. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Too small of a market if you're competing, you know. And, and you know, same thing with the NBA, by the way. LeBron James never comes back to Cleveland if the New York Knicks could pay him $70 million a year in his prime. <laughs> you know, you've got to look at it a little different baseball. Well, we're gonna, hopefully we're going to have Pat Williams on with us just a little bit. We'll talk about the NBA because they've got a lot of problems that I want to talk to Pat about. But uh, I want to get back to the Orioles because uh, – yeah. Uh, they they made a dramatic move the second half of last year. Uh, they were under 500 by so many uh, consecutive years. They were not competitive. Uh, they started to make sure they didn't make any big moves during the off season. Uh, you've got the numbers. What do you think? Yeah, they brought in Kyle Gibson. Come on. <laughs> hey, look at they got. Look, you know, from a guy like me who follows the minor leagues all the way through and everything. You have to be excited about Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson, and you got to be excited, you know, when you look at the improvements of Cedric Mullins and Anthony uh, Henderson. Henderson's supposed to be a namesake. He's supposed to be a big-time player now. I, you know, they really have pumping him up. Yeah, he's 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 got he's a real deal. You know, you look at those guys, Adley Rushman, and and then you you know you you take a look at John Means will be coming back at some point. They did sign Kyle Gibson, who is an innings eater, which should take a little bit of pressure off some of the other younger arms. Um, but you also you know you look at uh, two guys, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, should finally be able to make uh, an impact on that roster probably this year. Rodriguez probably sooner than later. Uh, the only problem with Baltimore right now is after Rodriguez and Hall, the pitching is really thin. So if those guys don't make it, there isn't a buffer of another guy, another group of guys that you can go call on. How do you uh, like but, their manager? He's been, uh, of course, he had nothing to work with for so many years. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on 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 him? 
you know, I, I like I like the manager and GM combo uh, mainly because what the, what I saw from them, and this is not really a strategy thing, but for instance, they traded Trey Mancini. That was very difficult for the team for the clubhouse, and right. the GM the GM flew down to meet the team on the road to talk to them about why they did it and, you know, and was available to the team for anything they needed. And so was Brandon Hyde. Uh, that kind of, that, that's, that's the kind of leadership you want. And they traded their, their closer at the time, you know, so you got a locker room full of kids that are trying to get into the postseason. Here you are moving Trey Mancini and moving your closer to Minnesota. And you're, you know, and you're, and you, and you start wondering what's going on here. You know, well, you know, uh, the GM and the, and the manager were very open uh, with their comments to the media, and they were all also very open to taking questions from the from the team. And right. I think that goes a long way, and it shows that they have the stability and that the team believes that what they hear from these guys isn't a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, PR coming out of their mouths. Well, that, Steve, as we get into the regular season, uh, we'll have you back, obviously, many times. and Thank you very much for a long period tonight. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. To you too, Steve. As always, we most appreciate appreciate you, uh, and you really add a lot. We learn a lot about baseball every time we talk. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's get out of Baltimore right now. Baltimore, Washington. Ovechkin is returning to the ice. Uh, maybe we'll find out from Mike Zumzak. Uh, and I really, I don't understand why. I shouldn't say I don't understand. I, well, I do. I, don't, I really don't understand. If, if the problem was his father was sick and was dying, why wouldn't they have said that right from the beginning rather than say, well, we don't know how long he's going to be away. We don't know what the problem is. All we know it's a family issue. Uh, why, why wouldn't they just have said that in the beginning? Uh, I think the issue at first was uh, trying to respect his desire to keep his family in Russia separate uh, from what's going on over here and, you know, want to be with his, his family and, and go through that with them and not have a lot of speculation and have a lot of attention drawn to it. So, it, you know, it is, was a private matter for him, and the team tried to keep it private for as long, and I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, before it came out and the news was made public, they spoke to him about it, and he gave him the go-ahead to say, okay, yeah, go ahead and make this announcement. Roger? Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that step that I think you have to just consider the source. Uh, you know, and uh, he didn't want to get Russia t- too upset about things. And, um, you know, listen, teams do that all the time. Uh, you know, they keep certain things very under the uh, covers, so to speak. Don't you agree with that, Mike? Yeah, and I think that they didn't just they just didn't want a big media circus surrounding this and people like, you know, Death Watch 2023, and so he wanted to keep it as quiet as possible. You know, he left. They said it was a family matter. They didn't know how long he was going to be gone. They said that, and they let him go. Um, There was never a question of whether or not, you know, they were going to let him go. Um, They let him be with his family. He went through the process, and he returned to the ice. um, He went through with it, you know, and then he's back. um, 
and he's back with the team now. Uh, whether when he plays again, I, I guess is up to him and the, uh, the coaching staff. But uh, he's back, and I'm sure that Caps are happy to see them because it has been a very, very rough go of it uh, since he left. They're on a five-game losing streak, and they've only they've scored two or fewer goals in nine of their last eleven games. So it's been a really tough road for them. And they, we they talked lose, about that last. That's you. We talked about that last week, and you pretty much forecast that uh, they were having a lot of trouble scoring goals and without him being there it was even going to be more difficult which has turned out to be absolutely true yeah and the risk is right now that that this slide continues and they've already fallen out of the top eight in the eastern conference right. but the, the way that things are going they could just be completely cut adrift and it'll be the first time in his career that they missed the playoffs. You know, it's pretty much been clockwork in this area. You know that, you know, come late March, April, that time period, the, the um, Caps are going to be playing in a, in a playoff series. They don't always win them, but they, they play. And what we're seeing is, unfortunately, what the team might look like without Ovechkin. And, you know, as these guys who have formed – the core, you know, um, Ovechkin and Lindstrom and those guys, they leave, they're going, you know, this is where we are. They're going to need to rebuild. And it, it looks, we've gotten a sneak peek at it, and it doesn't look pretty. Roger? Mike, can we, I wanted to switch the football a little bit. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the... Um, the story. What do you think about uh, Eric Bieniemy as the new OC for the uh, uh, Commanders, and uh, w- what that could be, uh, be a writing on the wall to Ron Rivera? I don't necessarily think that it's writing on the wall for Ron Rivera. Remember, Ron is still pretty much entirely in charge of the football operation, and he's working for an owner who is selling the team. So. And I don't think that sale is going to get done until, like, June time frame. So it looks like Rivera will be there at least one more year. You know, is it possible that he could replace Ron Rivera and Ron just hired his replacement? Yeah. But I think if Eric Bieniemy gets this offense going and they look anything uh, – above the Mendoza line, uh, that he's going to, it's going to settle all those doubts about whether or not he can manage an offense and he'll be a head coach next year someplace. You know, this was for all intents and purposes, it's a good match, but it's also very much a match of a marriage of convenience. The commanders had waited and waited and waited, uh, to make a decision on an offensive coordinator. They needed to make, uh, a kind of a big hire if they could to, to change the narrative. The enemy was out of contract. He has interviewed for 16 head coaching jobs, got none of them. You know, so that's, that's right. half the jobs. That's half the teams in the league have interviewed him at least once. So, you know, he needed to make a move. Um, Ron is a defensive head coach. He really, 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 really idolizes and respects. Andy Reid, so Andy Reid's blessing was enough for him. You know, Eric comes in. He's going to have complete control 
of the offense. He's going to have complete control of his staff. You know, it's his playbook. He's going to call the plays. He's going to do everything, and the buck stops with him. Now, you know, you're, you're talking about an offense in the Washington Commanders that has uh, averaged uh, over the last 22 years, they've only had five seasons where they've averaged more than 20 points in a season, and their average right now is 19 points per game or less. Wow. It's around 19 points per game. So the reason I bring that up is this is not a team that's been known or has been any sort of offensive juggernaut over the course of, you know, the 21st century. So if he comes in and he's able to use the weapons, if he's able to, you know, use Brian Robinson uh, Jr., if he's able to use Terry McLaurin, if he's able to use Jahan Dobson, if Sam Howell looks like a solid NFL starter, we're not even asking him to turn this into the Chiefs offense. We're at, they're asking him, you know, get it moving straight. Get it moving right. forward. Make it look like a competent, successful NFL offense. And I think if he does that, you know, then it's going to answer a lot of questions. It's going to put to, to bed any of those lingering doubts about his ability as a play caller, his ability to work with players, his ability to be to communicate. All of those things that we've heard are knocks against the enemy. I think it'll put them to bed, and then he, he's really going to have to say, okay, now what's your excuse for not hiring? Mike, uh, I, I wish I, I had the paper, and unfortunately my wife threw it away, but I had the paper over the weekend. The fellow from USA Today wrote a terrific, terrific column about him and what an insult this was that uh, he had to settle for the job as the offense coordinator in Washington, rather than being, as you indicated, the number of times that he's been interviewed for a head coaching job, a lateral move going from Kansas City to Washington. Not, you know, they're going to give him, as you pointed out, a little bit more responsibility. But this is a, this is not a big move for him. I mean, it, you know, maybe he'll be lucky. Maybe he'll, maybe he will turn the offense around. And, and but I mean, he's been interviewed a lot of times. He's been with a lot of clubs. He's won a lot of games, and that uh, they. The way they wrote the article in USA Today, they said this is an absolute, really an insult to him. You know, I don't know. I think there's a way to look at it as a lateral move. There's a way to look at it as a promotion. You know, right. he's going from being Andy Reid's offensive coordinator, and whatever that role was, we know that Andy designs a lot of his plays. We know that Andy runs a lot of his plays. We know that his coordinator goes in there and is running Andy Reid's offenses, his design, right. what he's done as long as he's been a head coach. You know, he, Eric Bieniemy is now going to a place where it's his offense. It's his side of the football. Ron Rivera is not going to be in those meetings. Ron Rivera is not going to be designing those plays. Ron Rivera is not going to be choosing his staff. You know, the Chiefs hired Matt Nagy back to work under Eric Bieniemy as a as a, a coaching uh, passing game coordinator or whatever his job title was. That's not going to happen here. You know, he's picking his staff. He's running that side of the ball. They're giving him the keys. So in that way, it is a bit of a promotion. I mean, it's still a coordinator's position, but he's got a lot more responsibility. The other thing, well, Roger, that, Roger, you're up. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mike, and because and, I know what you want to say. Go ahead. The other thing is, you know, none of us 
have been in the building when he is interviewed, and we don't know what goes on. We don't know. I know, like, some of these jobs, they were just token interviews. The, the uh, owners had already made up their minds as to who they were going to hire. But I think there is something there, right, because he's interviewed for all these jobs, and he hasn't gotten any of them. And I think there's something there. Uh, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't know. But, you know, there's more to it than just, you know, he – interviewed 16 times and, and, and didn't get it interviewed for to be a head coach 16 times and didn't get it. Like there, there's, right. there's something more to the story that we just don't know because we're not in that room where these conversations are taking place. Well, it could be a, a bad interview. Okay. You know, who knows? Yeah, go ahead. It could be a bad interview. It could be, they ask him about his role. You've heard different things about his role in Andy Reid's offense. When you hear from Andy Reid, you know, he's designing plays. He's calling plays. These are his concepts. And then you hear right. somebody like LaShawn McCoy go on and say, you know, no, he's not. He doesn't talk in the meetings. He's not designing plays. You know, Andy Reid's doing all the passing offense, and it's a pass offense first. He's basically just there to, make, to oversee practice. He doesn't oversee the installation. He doesn't make the adjustments. So somewhere in between there is the truth. And, you know, that's what, what, where it is. And so we, we just don't know what it's like when he gets in those rooms and what he says to uh, the owners. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Doug Peterson was in the same position uh, when the Eagles hired him. Had been Andy Reid's offensive coordinator, uh, you know, with Kansas City. Okay. Now, Deuce Staley – was on uh, uh, Doug Peterson's staff all those years. We won the Super Bowl. And they felt that if he went to another team, uh, because he came in uh, second to Sirianni, okay, uh, from all reports, uh, to be the Eagles head coach. The team wanted him. uh, You know, they knew him. And, of course, he had a great career with them and then the the Steelers. But the – then now he's at, at uh, Carolina. But when you think about it, well, the reason supposedly from what they say is his father um, uh, is, uh, is ill and, and lives in Columbia. Well, you can make it from Columbia to Charlotte in a little over an hour uh, on I-77 or 277. You know, Don, you know, your family's over in North Carolina. So, right. uh you know, so that that was it, and I think what they loved him in Detroit. They loved Deuce. He was assistant head coach to Campbell. But I think what happens now is Frank Reich, okay, was the offensive coordinator for Doug Peterson when they went to the Super Bowl. Who was the running backs coach? Deuce Staley. Deuce. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, Frank Reich uh, going to Carolina, I mean, this is definitely a lateral move for Deuce, you know, going from Detroit to Carolina. But it's a family situation. But I think it's a perfect situation for Deuce to be be with Frank Reich, you know, because Mm -hmm. they know each other, they work together, and – 
this could give uh, Deuce a lot more uh, opportunity to get involved in play calling and designing plays. Yeah, any coach really who's a head coach who has an up-and-coming assistant who wants them to just be the assistant is really doing them a disservice. And I think so, you know, if with Deuce going to uh, to uh, Carolina to work again with Frank, you know, Frank's going to understand what Deuce needs to make that next step because he himself made it from offensive coordinator with the Eagles to head coach. You know, right. And we know if these guys are able to do it, you know, it could be a relatively quick move. Look at um, St. Stadium for, for the Eagles. What, two years and he's now the head coach? So, you know, I can say there's a lot of differences in between he, he, he and, and Eric Bieniemy, but there's certainly, like, be able to go into the room and at least convince these owners that he can be the face of the franchise and he can run an offense in a way that, you know, somebody like um, Eric hasn't been able to. Well, Roger, we, we, we didn't really touch on it earlier in the program today, and maybe Mike will as well, but the Eagles are – I mean, look at their coaching staff now. Boy, you talk about a changeover. I mean, they're 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 going left and right. I mean, the Eagles are going to be going from ground level. Yeah, just about. That's what happens, and uh, you know, and and then uh, you know the the uh, both coordinators obviously uh, going, and then uh, you know, and then they they ta- they what do they do? They take the guys that were on their staff with them because they promote them. And right. as long as they're getting promoted, you can't stop it. That's the that's the league uh, rule, so to speak. Yeah, but I mean that's that's the hallmark of a successful team. If you're you're good, people want to copy you. And I'm sure that you know Gannon was almost a goner last year. He interviewed for a couple of jobs, uh, right. so they'll be prepared for it. You know, I think that as a head coach. Yeah, well, the fans were glad he's out of town, Mike. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Especially after the way the Super Bowl ended. But I think, you know, Nick Sirianni has a vision for how he wants his defense and he wants his offense to play. So he's going to be able to go out and get somebody who, he's going to, who he believes will be able to do that and be able to coach the offense the way that he wants to. He's still going to have a hand in that offense. You know, he's going to bring in somebody who can work with the defense, you know, um, some of the staff may leave to go with Gannon and Steichen, but a lot of them will stay. He may will promote some of the staff members up to fill new roles. So there will be some continuity, even if the two, I guess if you want to say two um, capos, uh, the two coordinators are gone. Mike, before we uh, run out of time, I got to touch a little bit on soccer because uh, uh, there's got to be some news that uh, you'd like to talk about in the soccer front as well. Well, there were uh, basically three big things that kind of came across in the last couple of days uh, right before the start of the MLS season. So let's take um, the first uh, MLS and Adidas renewed their equipment deal uh, for to the tune of uh, $830 million over the next seven years. So that will run until uh, 2030. And Adidas will supply all the equipment, balls, jerseys, everything for the MLS teams. So this contract over the so it works out to about um, uh, 140 million additional dollars over the initial contract from last year. So they'll be 
you know, MLS over the course of a seven-year deal will be pocketing, you know, um, roughly $20 million additional dollars per season. Uh, this is, you know, that's good money for them. Significant the money. Yeah. And this is going on again. They're going to be making that money on top of the $250 million from Apple for the broadcast per year that they're going to be divvying up for the next 10 years. So, you know, we're going to have some more money coming in to the teams that's going to help with player salaries that might help, you know, get some better upgrade stadiums. I think it will make the league a better product as we have this new money coming in. Uh, at the same time, they announced, you know, St. Louis is the 29th team. Uh, they announced that there's plans in the near future. They don't think that they're going to have a new team for the 23-24 season um, or a new team coming up in 2024, but they, they want to, by the end of the year, have announced the 30th team. And it looks like Las Vegas and San Diego are the front runners. Uh, MLS is by far the biggest top division, the biggest um, top division in any country in the world. Like most of the top divisions in soccer throughout the world hover in between 18 and like 22 teams. MLS is at 29. Um, now, what do you pay for a franchise now in MLS? Well, I think the last one was a couple was um, was a hundred million. Was the last okay. one that was where um, that was what the uh, Miami franchise was going. I don't know exactly what these new franchises are going to be, but with this new television revenue, with the value of the teams increasing, you know, there's a report that LAFC is now worth, according to Forbes, nine hundred million dollars, and could easily become the first MLS team to break the billion dollar threshold. Um, you know, I've got to say that the franchise fee is going to double again, and you're looking at about $200 million for just the franchise, and that fee will be divided up amongst the owners. They've added nine new teams in the last six years. So it's really been a period of rapid growth for the MLS. And the third nugget that came out. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, ahead, Mike. I just wanted to, what I wanted to do is follow up about just real quick about St. Louis is going to be a home run. Uh, because okay. I did, uh, for several years, I did the uh, National Junior College Soccer Championships, as Don knows, at uh, Mercer County College. And uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of that junior college that's in uh, Florescent Valley in uh, St. Louis. And uh, they were in that tournament every year. And I can see, where uh, you know what stadium What uh, are they going to play? At the uh, old TWA dome? No, they built a stadium. Oh, they built a new stadium. Okay. Yes. Okay, go with number three. Go ahead. Um, New playoff format was announced. uh, That will see the number of playoff games uh, in MLS Cup increase from 12 to 24. So now the eighth and ninth teams in each division league are going to get in. And they're going to play a wild card game, and then each of the eight remaining teams are going to play uh, afterwards. Are going to play a best of three series. Now, it's Mike, not let me interrupt games. for a second because you're talking about what, uh, as I read it, 62 percent of the teams will be in the playoffs. Yeah, um, it's it's 
a lot. Uh, a total, 62% of the teams. So you're looking at uh, 16 of 29 teams making the playoffs. I'm sorry, 18 of 29 teams making the playoffs. You right. actually have to work harder to miss the playoffs than you do to make them. And then you've got these three-game series to start. Um, so each game is – it's a best of three, so each game matters. Um, you know, the MLS was looking as they were going through their playoffs simultaneously to baseball's World Series. In fact, you know, the Phillies lost uh, on the same – the uh, Union lost the MLS Cup Finals on the same evening as, I believe, uh, the Phillies lost game five. So, you know, those were going on concurrently. And they were looking at the with, you know, looking at the attention that was being given to the playoff series and baseball, and saying how they wanted to have, see if they could incorporate this idea of having the series having a longer playoffs because they felt like it would build storylines and anticipation. So they're going to try this this year with this idea of these three game series in the first round, and then the having the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Or I'm sorry, the semifinals and the, and the finals be just one um, single games, single elimination. Right. Uh, you know, it's all about revenue, and they want to get the mo- maximize the amount of revenue that they can generate because they say the playoffs are where people pay attention. I think it kind of devalues the regular season when you have, like as you said, um, Don, 62% of the teams make the playoffs. Right, uh, when you have these three game series, um, it doesn't always be, mean that the best team wins, right? And so I don't see necessarily anymore the reward for being the best team in the league as right. much as, as I used to. I think that it, it takes a lot out of being the best over the course of the regular season. So it's really again a step in devaluing the regular season. Uh, but hey, if, if it brings them the revenue that they're looking for, then so be it. Well, they got a sponsor for uh, all of the the, uh, the playoffs, and uh, and and uh, yes. I think that says something. That's the you know what other major sport uh, has a sponsor just for playoffs? Okay, I can't think of any. Uh, no, the, I mean, they have... Go ahead. They have sponsors over for cup tournaments over in uh, in Europe. So like the FA no, Cup I meant in England. Here. I, I meant yeah. here with four, that's, four that's major sports. I don't know anything like that here. I've never heard of like the Chevrolet NFL playoffs. Right. Well, you know what that tells you, Mike? Uh, check news at eleven. It's coming mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. Yeah. And the other thing is that. Uh, I uh, the, I had just the I saw that the United got one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars in um, uh, so, you know some kind of fund you know that they have uh, you know where they spread it around and uh, the the uh, there was also a signing I saw that the other day but I I haven't uh, uh, had a chance to really do much research uh, on it but. Uh, I, you know, I just, I, I think the uh, MLS is uh, on the right track. And, and, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Look at what the value of a uh, franchise is now. 
Yeah, you, you know, you could have gotten a franchise uh, early. I don't even know if it cost $50,000, million to, for the union. Um, it may have been less than that. And, you know, we've seen them go up by a factor easy of four over the last 10 years. So, you know, somebody's watching. It's doing, it's doing something right. Mike, again, oh, yeah, thank you very much for this segment. Uh, we got into so many different things, as we always do. Uh, great information from you. Thank you so very, very much, and we'll do it again next week. All right. Have a Look great week, to it, gentlemen. You have a great week. You too. Take care. Doug Hamilton is uh, standing by, ready to go. And, uh, Doug, first of all, uh, I want to start off on, on the golf this weekend because Tiger put on you know, a pretty nice show, and there's a lot of speculation today in the papers and national TV and radio that, uh, you know, when will he make his next appearance? Uh, they want him to, you know, maybe come out and play in the players, uh, but they want him to play somewhere before he goes into Augusta. Uh, mm-hmm. He certainly made a, a relatively good uh, showing, uh, one under par. He, he was two, three under par at one time on Saturday. Uh, your observation on, uh, on the uh, – Riviera tournament. Well, I I hate to say I mean I I have uh, I had limited observation. We uh, took a little family trip down to Raleigh, North Carolina, to watch the Stadium Series, um, you know, and and see the Caps play like bums for you know three periods. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we were you know doing some family stuff and everything else. I mean I personally had um, bet that Tiger Woods would make the cut and uh, he was kind of hovering around there and it looked like he wasn't going to and then some things changed and he did so um, you know five bucks turned into 20 so that's that was a good start but um, you know I, I think it's great I mean obviously you know he's still a relevant factor of uh, you know the game and, and, and one of the you know patriarchs of, of, of PGA the PGA Tour so to, to see well, him just play the audience. I mean, just the, the turnout well, to look. see him play all four days was amazing. Well, I mean, you know, he's been through so much. His body's been through so much, and he still, you know, plays well enough that he can go out there and, and command the respect. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he's won, you know, 15 majors. And, um, you know, will he ever win another one? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to win on tour. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wish somebody would, would sit down with him and say, like, man, what – what what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to achieve? I mean, I know that he would probably say that he he thinks he can win, and that's how he practices. And even though he's going to play less of a tour schedule, I think he he still thinks he can probably win once or twice this year. And I, I believe his hope is probably that one of those wins would be a major. And you know, I mean, that's I guess that's why he does what he does. I mean, he's you know still uber talented um, to go out there with some of these you know young bucks that. You know your your Spieths and Thomases and Morikawas and all these different people. I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal, you know, to see him playing at this age. Um, no question. You know, no question. The other big story, obviously, is uh, they're going to be able to continue uh, the tournament this week because the sponsorship is uh, is fading mm-hmm. away, and they don't know whether they're going to be able to continue, which is one of the uh, one of the leading tournaments down here in Florida. But because mm-hmm. of the new rules. Uh, they only have, I think, three of the top 20 players playing this week because they all played last week, and they all played two weeks ago uh, out there in Arizona. And this is not one of the required tournaments, and uh, the sponsorship is really having trouble, and that's a shame. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of different options for these guys. I mean, um, 
you know, as, as, as glamorous of a lifestyle as, as people could imagine that playing on tour in the major leagues or any of these other places is, I mean, it requires, you know, a lot of travel, a lot of hotels, a lot of, sacrifice. you know, restaurants out, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of practice and play and diet and you're working out in hotel gyms and, I mean, just, you know, different things that, you know, these guys have probably have families. They have, you know, things that keep them grounded, you know, at home. And, um, you know, they probably want to you know, be relevant in terms of playing in tour events that, that give them an opportunity to win. I mean, look, there's some golf courses maybe they don't want to play because it doesn't fit their game or, you know, they just don't like or, or whatever. So, I mean, there's there's choices out there. And, and of course, they're picking um, up the ones now that are the designated tournaments with the higher, you know, the $20 million purse rather sure. than, you know, 10 or 5 or whatever. Right. Well, I mean, you know, there's... Got a, I don't, got know, a I don't know who's stuff. talking, but that's not Roger. I don't know. <laughs> No, 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 it's not me. I don't know who it is. <laughs> Go ahead, You know, Roger. Doug, I was just going to say, uh, I watched a lot on the tournament over the weekend, and um, the thing that got me was I just saw a Tiger Woods that was much more in tune with uh, the fans. Uh, you know, it was like almost every hole, uh, especially if, if he had a good performance, uh, you know, he's like waving, thanking the fans. And am I wrong about that? That early on, no, that was just I, not his mode of operandi. Well, he he was, um, you know, the next big thing um, after he won his his third USAM and and you know playing on tour and and, and having success very quickly and and um, you know just continuing to win tournaments and and being for the stretch that he had the most dominant player that, that ever played the game, you know, he was laser focused on, on winning. And, and, you know, I think that it's easy for people to see certain things, but I know that, well, look, think you, you, you evolve over time and, and certain things that were important to you don't have the same level of importance to you. I mean, I can, I can justify that in, you know, in my life with regard to my family and how important it is for, you know, me to spend time with my mom and dad and my wife and, and my stepson and, and her family and, and things that we do. Um, you know, what do they say? If you have your health and you have your family, you're rich. So you got everything. You, know, you got it. I, well, I, I think that over time, I mean, look, he, he understands, you know, where he is in his life and his age and his abilities and his restrictions and limitations and how hard. I mean, look at Tom Brady at 45 and how hard he had to work to keep his body conditions. I mean, Christ, he had you know, special pajamas he wore, you know, to help him recover. And imagine the stuff that he ate and drank and the team that he had constructed that probably helped him lift and stretch. And who knows, you know, what what he had to do to get to that point to do it. I mean, you know, we, we all think that this is going to last forever, but unfortunately, you know, it just doesn't. And I think that Tiger has become more graceful over his career with regard to the things that he's gone through that have humbled him and made him – switch from a blind eye to the reality of, you know, he's got kids. He, he's, you know, he was married. He got into some, you know, some troubles with some different things and he had a significant car accident and he's had a whole bunch of reconstructive and major surgeries. So, 
you know, I think he's turned that into being more graceful to the fans. I mean, he's incredibly philanthropic through his, his charities and foundations and all the things that he does. So, I mean, you know, I think he's, he's, you know, kind of turning the page on, on some of the things and, and, you know, understanding the life portion of it. Also, the fact that all the interviews he talked about uh, playing this tournament and the fact they were on a relatively flat course because, you know, he said one thing about playing, you know, on his home course, which is all flattened with no stress or anything, just out there practicing, uh, whereas now he's in a tournament with the stress. Then he has to walk 18 holes every day, four mm-hmm. days, which is a yeah. major uh, blow to his body. And they're sure. hopeful, as I say, he'll play in the players because, again, that's pretty much a flat course, uh, whereas mm-hmm. a, as opposed to playing the Masters, which is, brother, that's hills, boy, that's that's hard work. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I um, would like to think that I could attest to um, some of the rigors that, I mean, look, I'm 48 years old, and, you know, you get out of bed and, and certain things, you know, hurt a little bit more than, than what they used to in areas that maybe you weren't sure they should. And, uh, you know, the the amount of, you know, kind of just how I treat my body and, and how I've treated it over the years. I mean, I've played a lot of baseball games, a lot of sports. I've hit a lot of golf balls and lift a lot of weights, a lot of them heavy. And over the course of time, that stuff kind of starts to just, you know, catch up to you a little bit. And, you know, as you get older, you still want to remain as relevant as you were at least the previous year, and you have to push your body in certain ways that, you know, it, it doesn't respond the same way the day or two after. Um, so, you know, for him to pick and choose some of his venues based on what he thinks is best for his body, and I'm sure that he uh, crafts his, his workout routines and, and, and uh, practice sessions based on, you know, his body and how it feels that maybe maybe he's got a peak you know, time that, that, that he feels the best or maybe he has certain things that he does that, that helps him recover or, you know, he obtains an awful lot of treatment, uh, whether it's, you know, heat or ice or sauna or steam or, I mean, whatever, you know, that, that he does to, you know, just try to put his body in the best position it can be because that's one of your, your major hurdles as you get older. I mean, you take that kind of stuff for granted when you're young and, you know, um, as you get older, you have to make some adaptations to that. Roger? Hey, I have trouble uh, going up and down an incline. (laughs) You know, at the park to go to the restroom. Right. (laughs) So I know know what it's like. And then uh, my daughter told me that uh, the 11-year-old in sixth grade, uh, they counted she she played in 85 softball games from Mm. March to the end of the year. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're, but you're right. When you start thinking about it, we don't think about it when we're 11 or when we're no. 15 or 20 years old or even right. uh, older than that. But, boy, I'll tell you what, you know, when well, – you're, and you're a young guy, you know, at 48. <laughs> okay, Doug, compared to well, us, the three of us. Well, in, in years, um, I, I would agree with you. But, I mean, I think, you know, the way that I've – tried to handle my body, I, I feel significantly younger than 48, and I think most people that that have met me or seen me would, would probably react the same way. I mean, I, I feel like I still, you know, still hit the throttle when I go to the gym and, and do some different things. And when, when, when just a quick story, but we, we were down uh, watching the stadium series, and February 17th, 2005 was the day I was diagnosed with cancer. So every year on February 17th, 
I celebrate that as what I call Survivor Day to just sure. you know, remember yeah. some of the things that I remembered and feel the way that I felt. And pretty much every year I try to do something, whether it's a really difficult workout or, or I try to do something that I don't like doing just to make me feel the way that I felt. So we're down in Raleigh and we, we go down to the gym and my wife says to me, she's like, well, what are you going to do this year? And I'm like, you know, I really hate running. She goes, uh, okay, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to run a five, I'm going to run a 10 K. She's like, you're going to run six point, whatever, one, two or whatever miles. She goes, you don't run. I was like, I know I hate running. She goes, you're going to run six miles. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I got off the treadmill. It was six and a half miles after I got done and I, I was dripping with sweat and I just kind of sat down on the treadmill and just really thought like, that was great. Like, you know, I, I, I felt terrible. I did, I was, I was miserable and I hated every step, but it made me feel, you know, a lot like I used to the feel challenge. when I was sick. And, yeah. The challenge. Yeah. And it's, it's the mental, it's the mental aspect, you know, aspects of, of trying to do something that is incredibly difficult, at least for me, um, you know, and, and still putting one step in front of the other. So that's all you can do. Just keep trying, my boy. Keep going. Well, we're going to get your we're going to get your your newest heartthrob, which is baseball now, because the Orioles are just getting underway. We talked about it in the first few uh, hour and a half of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was over at uh, Ed Smith Stadium and uh, just saw a little bit of nice. the pitchers and catchers when I was picking up credentials and so forth this week. Uh, but uh, a lot of optimism uh, on the mm-hmm. Oriole front. I know you're optimistic. Uh, they didn't make a lot of great moves. We did a little bit of a statistical analysis of the mm-hmm. Orioles uh, maybe a, a half hour or 45 minutes ago. Uh, but with the change in schedule, not having to play uh, the big teams like the Yankees and so forth 19 times in a season, you play them more than a regular number. Uh, maybe maybe the Orioles can make that much of an improvement again this year. You know, uh, it's, there's there's two... Uh, there's two big topics um, in Baltimore, obviously, if you listen to whatever media and news outlets. You know, obviously, you've got the Lamar contract, which I don't know that we'll have time to get into tonight, but, um, you know, the Orioles are are probably a, a 1A to that. Um, and so if you look at the, at the moves the Orioles made, uh, on paper, um, I, I believe that they flew under the radar with the moves they made. However, the, the backup catcher McCann that they obtained, I think, is is better than what they had last year. Um, assigning Adam Frazier, I think, is better than is an upgrade over Odor. Uh, trading for uh, this guy Irvin and signing Gibson, I think, is is probably better than whichever two you know individuals that that were in that slot last year and gives them, I think, some more depth. Um, you know, but. But I think what's what people lose sight of is that people are comparing the Orioles to the Orioles, and so when you look at what they what they were last year and unexpectedly having 83 wins, I, I think that the moves that they made make them better than they were last year. But again, I, I think you're comparing the Orioles to the Orioles. What you need to compare is the Orioles to the Blue Jays, the Orioles to the Yankees. What did they do? What did they have? You know, so I, I think that. The optimism here—it's—it's it's like saying I'm—I'm I'm going to go to the gym and you just bench press 500 pounds, but I can only do 300. Does that make me less than you? No, because two years ago I can only do 200. 
So it's a race with myself, and I think that the Orioles are only really racing themselves because they can't compete with the Yankees. They can't compete with the Blue Jays when it comes to the payroll and the amount of money that they, they've spent. You know, the Orioles are banking on the old-fashioned way, which is to say, well, this year we're going to get a full year of Adley Rutschman. This year we're going to get a full year of Gunnar Henderson. This year, you know, John Means is probably going to come back after the All-Star break. You know, this year, this year, you know, so – you know, I, I just I think people need to keep that in perspective. I mean, you're you're, you're talking about moves they made and, and the aspirations of them improving upon a record last year that was, you know, un, unforeseen. But you know, the Yankees got better, the Blue Jays got better. So you know, <laughs> what are we really doing here? I mean, the AL East is pretty dang on top. Roger, that's a good analogy. That's yeah, that's a really great analogy because too many times fans, we as fans. Uh, will compare uh, the team and I th- uh, to the uh, last year's team. And I think in the NFL, mm-hmm. that's been a problem for years. I mean, league-wide, because yeah. the team of this year is not the team of next year. And the team of next year is not the team mm-hmm. of the following year because of free agency, sure. because of the uh, the draft. And, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Eagles uh, uh, could be – uh, like have one third of uh, of their team uh, gone for next year. Forget the well, coaches, like we've been talking about. I mean, the players because sure. of the number of free agents they have. Well, I think that's a valid point, Roger. And I think that you know most people when they look at teams and 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 how they aspire to win more and win championships and those sorts of things, I think obviously is is what we look at at the ground level, but. The Eagles lost their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. And I think Correct. the continuity of having these people around here and the, the whispers that they make to the players that they coach, I think, is a huge portion of, you know, teams and, and teams that win. And, and you saw the Ravens defense with a brand-new defensive coordinator last year, I think, played some better football. Now they have a brand-new offensive coordinator. And, you know, how is that going to translate into, you know, what, what happens on the field? So, um, you know, it's not just about the players, you know, it's the coaches and you have people that maneuver in front offices and you have decisions that are made on, you know, on free agents and drafts and all these different things that play into that. And, and you're going to have teams this year that have, you know, $50 million to spend in free agency. And what are they going to do with it? I mean, are they going to instantly become better? I mean, are teams going to hit on their draft picks? I mean, every Well, you've talked about that two. many times. Uh, you're, you're, sure. you're working on, what, 26 26- 26 yep. million uh, under the cap, where everybody else is uh, well above that. Plus, the fact, as you mentioned, we won't have too much time to talk about Jackson, probably. But sure. you know, any changes at all there? Yeah, I mean, I think again, I, I don't see a scenario where Lamar Jackson plays football for the Ravens next year. At this current point, I just don't see it, and I don't think it's a financially savvy move for them to continue down this road. And I think that they should probably expect to get as much as they possibly can in a trade for him um, in an effort to keep this football team competitive. Roger? Well, you look at uh, Derek Carr, uh, the Raiders let him go, and now as a free agent, he can sign and make the best deal, you know, for him. Well, we we also still don't know, um, did did Aaron Rodgers evolve from the darkness yet? Has he he made a... um, the clarification no. as to what what he's going to do, no, no, um, no, you know. So you you know, there's, no, there's we're, Ryan we're just out of time. Let me throw it back to our executive producer, 
Frank Carroll and Hillside Assault. Once again, week, Doug. Terrific. We'll get together again next week. Roger, yep. great. Talk to you a little bit. You and uh, it's all yours, okay. Frank. I want to thank everybody for being thank on Thank you, Frank. Tonight. God bless. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the women with police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please take the time to let them know you know they're there. <laughs> we lost 71 people in uniform in the last three months. So please, please let them know you know they're there and that you, you support them. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives along the duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman Jeffrey Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bajan, Ricky Belge, William Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henry, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Shaw County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condon, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Gavin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman and Officer Chris from Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerber, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Chris Leach, uh, Women's Fire Department. Lieutenant uh, Artis Hope, Women's Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikes, Women's Fire Department. Trooper Jim Bold, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogan, London Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Women's Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrove, Nine Ellis County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Deputy uh, Chris Meyer. Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Officer Christopher Fitzgerald, Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime will be 10-10 at the day of the Lord. So that time, may the rays rise up from each May the winds be always at your back. May the sun shine lightly on your face. And until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. Tonight, God bless and have a great week.